And so we're really saying, look, we think the site is worth 20 million on the open market. We're going to bring 17 million pounds worth of social value. 20 minus 17 gives us our three. How do you convince the government to give you some land for the community for next to nothing of its actual cost? I've got an inspiring story today about how community action can bring things to life. And I hope wherever you're listening that maybe it inspires you to do the same in your community. Hello, this is the Age of Plastic podcast and I am Andrea Fox. This is an environmental podcast going, ah, what do we do? Now today we are talking to a brilliant, brilliant project which is hoping to get off the ground, which would create a rewilding space in one of the most populated cities in the world and also allow free community spaces and free spaces for people to swim. They've crowdfunded over half of the half a million that they need from the community. And wherever you're listening, I hope you are inspired and share their story. Today I'm chatting to Abby Woodman, Chair of the East London Waterworks Park, a community group who are transforming an East London industrial site into community-owned natural swimming ponds and a biodiverse park. Thank you so much for joining me on the Age of Plastic podcast to talk all about the East London Waterworks Park. Now, what is it you are hoping to create? <laughs> so, in East London, there is a 5.68 hectare slab of concrete it was once uh, a Victorian filter beds um, that uh, produced clean water for London. So it was really critical to the infrastructure and to our health. Um, for a long time now, it's just been a depot used by Thames Water to store pipes and things like that. And we want to buy it for the community. We want to rewild it. We want to create uh, beautiful community spaces loads of habitats uh, for uh, wildlife and wild swimming. And so for people who might be listening in London right now, this is basically on the Hackney Waltham Forest border. And the idea is if you create these swimming baths, they would be completely free for the community, right? That's absolutely right. So inclusivity is um, a really, really important part of the project. And we feel that um, asking people to pay to use the swimming ponds or the community spaces is just not inclusive. Um, recent statistic that 40% of children in the boroughs of Hackney and Waltham Forest are living in poverty. So, um, you know, there is a real socioeconomic uh, issue in the area. And so to make sure that the space is truly inclusive, truly open to the whole community, we think it's absolutely critical that um, most of the infrastructure on the site, so the swimming ponds, the community spaces will be free to access. Yeah, and I feel like, um, you know, people living in poverty, swimming lessons and things like that, not top of their priority. And it always breaks yeah. my heart every summer here in the UK when you hear of people getting into difficulty in water and not realising the dangers of it or not being able to swim and things like that. And when we say swimming ponds, um, this is more like... Hampstead Heath Wild Swimming, which has become very popular at the moment, the Lidos, isn't it? Because you're using quite an unusual, well, I think of it as an unusual technology, but apparently it's been around forever. Well, I don't know about forever, but so um, there's a kind of there's a kind of spectrum. At one end, we have Hampstead Ponds, which are totally uh, natural. They're fed by a stream. 
Um, and then at the other end, we have a Lido, which is outside swimming, which is fed by water that's cleaned by chemicals. Um, and what we're trying to do sits in the middle of that. So that will be uh, the water will be from rainwater. So we'll collect rainwater. We will clean it by uh, by passing it through, first of all, reed beds and then specially chosen aquatic plants, which clean the water and filter the, uh, the nasties out of the water. So it kind of sits in the middle. Um, it, you know, there is some human intervention because it will pass through these reed beds and we will have planted the aquatic plants, um, but it is not cleaned by chemicals. Um, and yeah, it's quite unusual technology in this country. We believe that there are a few private swimming pools like this, um, but nothing public. But it is, I understand, really tried and tested in the continent, on the continent, and particularly in Germany. So we're not kind of going crazy trying something new. Um, it's just new for this country. Yeah, it's sort of tried and tested and safe. And uh, as you say, it's something that you might see in private swimming pools in the UK. We're currently talking in um, August 2022, and I think there is a chlorine shortage in the UK, I've heard. But um, I always thought this sort of reed-filtrated um, swimming bars were essentially for posh people's posh houses but yeah in germany they've been using it for a couple of decades and it's completely safe right yeah and um i there was uh i i don't know how i missed it but some years ago in king's cross pre the development that's happening or finished now there was a swimming pool like this wow. that was built temporarily so there may have been some people out there that got to experience this um a few years ago um but yes it's not just for posh people that's what we want to <laughs> not just for bougie people so when is this going to happen how is it going to happen and what are you asking for because this is a crowd-funded volunteer-led project right yeah, this is a group of people, a bunch of people have got together to dream this idea into existence. Um, and what we need right now is money, I'm afraid. I know it's really challenging at the moment, um, but we are crowdfunding to raise the money to buy the site. Uh, what We've got an all or nothing crowdfunder, which means that if we don't raise the £500,000 on the crowdfunder, we won't get anything. Um, at the time of talking to you, we're up to £220,000, which is a donking amazing amount of money and we're so delighted and grateful and appreciative to everyone who's donated so far but we have also got a bit of a way to go so if you are able to donate check out our crowdfunder page east london waterworks park and um please do donate basically what we're doing is we have offered to buy the site for three million pounds so we're starting with the crowdfunder at 500,000 and then are looking to find the rest of it through trusts and foundations, corporate donations and private individual donations from private donors. Yeah. So basically the crowdfunder is to prove that there is the need for it in the community and to help going to bringing this to life. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to demonstrate how many people are behind the idea and I, I think there's no better way of de demonstrating your commitment or demonstrating there is commitment to the idea than seeing that quite a lot of people have put their money in. And we've got um, 18, over 1,800 people so far that's that have donated, which is fantastic. And I'm delighted to see, like truly delighted to see donations range from £1 to £10,000. So that's people putting in what they can and we are appreciative of every single donation. And I think it's probably worth explaining that the site is owned by central government. Yeah, let's get into um, this because I feel like this is the bit for people outside of London that might inspire them because this is a truly sort of community-based project. And yeah, explain about like how you're getting the land essentially for three million because it sounds kind of cheap. <laughs> <laughs> 
it would be cheap for land in London. But um, so it's a bit of a long story, but hopefully I can explain it succinctly. Um, so the site belonged to Thames Water. Mm. They decided they no longer wanted it. Central government bought it to build two free schools. Um, the planning application for those free schools was turned down for two reasons. One, the land is metropolitan open land, which means it's like green belt. Right. It means it's protected from development. So the schools were the wrong thing to put on that site. It was also the wrong place for schools in the community. So the planning application was turned down. Government decided not to appeal. And we have had confirmation that they want to dispose, dispose of, sell the site. Mm -hmm. So we said, right, well, as a community, what, what do we want? What do we want there? Um, and because it's metropolitan open land, because it is in the Lee Valley River, uh, the Lee Valley floodplain borders the River Lee, it's obviously not great for housing. And because it was a waterworks, there's a huge number of utilities underneath the site. It's very crowded underground. So our we really do genuinely believe that the only possible use for it is as open public access park. And really what we're doing is saying to the government, look, you've got this site. We can do some amazing things with it. Um, and a project that will bring over £17 million worth of social benefits to the area. So that's environmental benefits and that's social benefits to the community. And so we're really saying, look, we think the site is worth £20 million on the open market. We're going to bring £17 million worth of social value. 20 minus 17 gives us our three. So it, it's bold. It's a bold plan. But there are, there are precedents for government sort of saying, look, these are really great projects. Um, you know, I want to stress that we've done a lot of work looking at international, national, regional and local strategies, policies, plans. And this ticks so many boxes that we don't think it's, uh, you know, completely pie in the sky to say, look, we are delivering on uh, a lot of your strategic goals. Um, and you can help us do this by giving us this discount on the land. Yeah, I love that. Love that working out. It just goes to show there are questions to be asked and 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 and. I want to say bargains to be made, but you're making the point for all these social benefits. Not everything has to come down to it's a site to turn into luxury flats and you can sell them for X because that's not how communities are built and maintained. No, I, I think that's exactly it. This is truly a community project. The community has come together. It's come up with the idea. It has worked that idea up and it is making that idea happen. And, and that's what I would really love people to take inspiration for. You know, it is a local project based in East London, but all over the country, I'm pretty sure there are things that you would like to happen in your community. And so I want to say to people like, it is super possible to do amazing things. It's really hard work. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, really hard work. Um, but you meet amazing people. You forge more than friendships. You forge real bonds with people doing things like that. this. And um, I think it can really help with anxiety as well, particularly around climate anxiety. Sometimes it feels so hopeless. Um, and I've certainly experienced that myself. What, what do we do? How, how do we, this, this huge world earth-based problem, you know, how do I as an individual tackle it? And yes, obviously there are individual things we can do, but we can also come together to make um, differences in our uh, local area. Yeah. Um, and that was very much my journey thinking I, I can't, what, what I know about is where I live. 
and that's where I can make a real difference. Yeah, I think that's well, such a powerful message, isn't it? Yeah, we have the most power in our communities. We can get very annoyed about what Shell's doing out in the North Sea, but realistically, the the power to do things in our local community is where our real power leads. And when you say that it's been hard work, let's go from like the kernel of this idea to when you hope, if you get the crowdfunding um, sorted, when you hope to have it open to the public. So we would hope that first swims will be in 2027. Um, that would be the volunteers who are helping us plant up the second swimming pond, retrofit the buildings, um, do sort of stuff on site, and then hopefully open to the public in 2029, which feels like a really long way away. And then you realise we're in 2022, <laughs> and then it's only seven years. Um, so it's a long-term project. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, and we still have to buy the land, hence the crowdfunder, just to do a little, little extra plug. Um, but it's a realistic timetable, we think. A short interlude in the podcast now to remind you that we can't all do this alone. If we want to divest from fossil fuels like plastic, we need everyone and all companies on board. So if you want to find out what the companies you use are up to when it comes to sustainability, but you don't know where to start, there's a handy form that you can download and use to email to any company. You'll find it on my website, iamandreafox.co.uk. Back to today's episode. And you came up with this idea 2019, wasn't it, that the community came up with this idea? Yeah, so we had a public meeting in 2019 to discuss what we were going to do, what we could do with the site. And then throughout 2020, um, we met uh, a, a core group of about 10 to 15 people kind of met and talked and talked and talked um, during the pandemic. And then in 2021, we had our first crowdfunder to raise £30,000 to pay for a number of kind of things we needed to check what, whether what we were doing was realistic so we paid for a pre-feasibility study from a wonderful exp- uh, engineering firm called expedition and they have fantastically confirmed that um that what we're proposing is doable on the site from an engineering perspective right. we also raised money to um kick off uh, an inclusivity listening project so that's a really fundamental thread. Um, so, so many environmental projects, um, you know, a lot of communities are historically um, underrepresented, up, underrepresented in um, environmental projects, which tend to be white and middle-class in this country. Um, so we, we want to change that narrative as well. Um, and so we've been out talking to the community, finding out what they want from the space, but also how we can make the project welcoming and in the year that we've been doing that um it, it is a much more diverse project than it was again it's not an easy thing to do but i think you need to commit with every every fiber of your being every fiber of your organization's being to doing this kind of thing and just learning as you go i mean i don't think any of us have the answers and we would never claim to have the answers um but just just keep plugging away with these kind of core principles inclusivity environment first and referring your decisions back to those things each time yeah i love that and it's not just the ponds as well tell us more about what's going to be available on the site and especially the things that will be free for the community yeah so um we are going to have free community spaces for community groups to meet so i think one of the hardest things if you want to make a change if you want to get together with people and make a change is to find a space to do that yeah Place that's inclusive that's quiet enough for people with hearing problems to hear you know people can bring their children if they you know don't have additional childcare. um you know uh, really all you have is a pub and that's not necessarily conducive to 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 frank and um 
conversations and not inclusive to the whole community so we want to give places people people free places to meet um we also want to create a make and repair space so i really love the idea of you know somebody has an idea and they need a 3d printer where do you where do you get access to a 3d printer you can't afford to buy one um for, for an idea um we'll have a 3d printer that people can come along and use for cost we'll also have a space where people can bring broken things to mend um or if they're not mendable we'll break them down we'll deconstruct them and store them and people can come along and use that to make new things um and then we are going to have a forest school um so this is i don't know if people know about forest schools but it's um bringing young people into an outdoor area and giving them opportunity to spend frequent time over the course of a whole year or even a longer period to see how the seasons change, to see how the space develops, um, to explore, to climb trees, to look at bugs under microscopes. Um, and there's a real appetite for that. So we're, we're hoping to create a space for that. Um, we are going to power power the site from renewables all generated on site so we're lucky enough that it's right next to the river lee and there is a weir uh, so the water cascades for about four or five meters and we believe we can put low head hydro into that to generate hydropower and we can also put solar panels on the roofs of the buildings and we think this is my numbers i've got to get my numbers right we think we can generate three hundred thousand kilowatt hours per year and that we'll need two hundred thousand kilowatt hours per year so we'll have 100 kilowatt hours per year to export to the grid and we are hoping that we will be able to store that in batteries so that we can export at the most advantageous time for the grid amazing um, yeah so making money and creating energy for yeah for the grid that's the plan yes and the two really exciting things that i'm quite excited about one is anaerobic digestion so this is using collecting food waste or waste from uh, food manufacturers and using it to create uh, biogas and we're hoping that would power the kitchen and i just really like that idea of people kind of coming bringing their waste pouring it into the anaerobic digester and then moving into the cafe to have a meal or a cup of coffee or something um and it, it it's about the circular economy and we really want to put the circular economy into practice um we've sort of said we we don't want refuse trucks coming to the site we want to be able to use everything and keep it in circulation so there'll be no plastic um that's a really big thing (laughs) yeah i love that obviously plastic free cafe tick um i'll be there uh in 2029 (laughs) um but yeah i love that and i don't know because i'm a few boroughs away but I don't have food recycling where I am. So I don't know whether there is in Hackney and Waltham Forest, but again, just keeping everything circular in in the project so it just sounds amazing and rewilding as well uh, and all of the beds and everything that you're putting in will obviously attract wildlife it just, yeah, it sounds like a really lovely magical project for something which is essentially a concrete block at the moment absolutely and if you look on if you look on google earth you can see that you've got the marshes uh that sort of stretch uh north south in this area with this great big concrete blot in the middle of it and someone said it's the missing piece of the jigsaw so if we can 
rewild that that will be great for humans and other wildlife to kind of wildlife corridors to move more freely up and down the valley yeah definitely and um yeah we've talked about energy and everything so just a reminder if you are able to donate that crowdfunder will be in the show notes wherever you're listening anything from one pound to ten thousand if you're feeling generous if you're feeling flush right now just a few questions to finish on then abby if you don't mind um We've talked about the cafe. That's going to be plastic free. Obviously, we don't need um, single use plastic in cafes anymore, do we? But plastic is a useful item, as we discuss on this podcast. We are just using it in the wrong ways and lots of single use we need to find better options for right now. So do you have a plastic item in your life that you're thankful for? Your favourite plastic item? I had to think quite carefully about this. Um, That's good. That means you don't have that much plastic at home. <laughs> no, well, I was looking around, there's an awful lot of plastic, yeah. but then I was thinking, how much do I care about it? Mm. Uh, I think it's my glasses. Oh, yeah. My glasses, my frames are plastic, and I wouldn't be able to see without them. And they are super light and super comfortable. So I know you can make glasses out of other things, but, um, you know, as somebody who wears glasses all the time, the fact that they're comfortable is really important for me. And these ones are comfortable. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's more and more being made from like bioacetates and things these days as well, apparently. Apparently. Um, finally, then, your environmental hero, who's inspired you maybe on this journey to create the East London Water Park? So I think the people who've expi- expired me. Mm-hmm. No, no one told me. It's early. <laughs> so I think the people who've inspired me are the local activists in Waltham Forest and Hackney that I've met over the years um, and there's one in particular Caroline she um, she has ME so she is sometimes housebound but she is all over it she can whip up a campaign um, and get people uh, doing stuff so brilliantly and um, she's taught me so much over the years and you know whenever I've got a question you know how is this going to how is this going to land in the community? Um, how could we get the message out there? She is definitely the person that I would go to. And I, I think it's she's inspiring because she she still looks outwards. Um, you know, she's she's focused on on how she can make the world better. Um, and I, I think that's just it's yeah, it's just really inspiring. Um, and she, she's she's not necessarily able to travel. You know, there's so much you can do from from your home um, in between all the other things that you've got going on in your life. Yeah. Oh, completely. What a lovely, lovely story. Abby, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this project. Wishing you all the luck with the crowdfunder. And yeah, hopefully people will take inspiration from this in their communities and start wondering who owns that big uh, concrete space down the road that's not being used. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you and good luck. If you want to find more and support the crowdfunder, I have put the link to the East London Waterworks Park crowdfunder in the show notes. You can also find out more by contacting the team involved at info at elwp.org.uk. Now, whether you can donate to this crowdfunder, maybe you're listening in a completely different part of the world. Uh, Please do share their story if you can and donate if you can. And most importantly, be inspired by Abby and the rest of the group's amazing work. Okay, eco life hack. I always say about this podcast that there is pretty much always a more sustainable version of some of the stuff that you may be looking around and seeing in your home or your life right now. Did you know that tights don't biodegrade? 
Well, Billy Tights are using a high-tech eco-yarn. They say they've created the world's first legwear brand, whose entire composition benefits from natural and accelerated degradation in landfill. What a tagline. You can find out about Billy London Tights uh, in the show notes today. And then if you don't wear tights, maybe just share it with someone who does. Thanks so much for joining me today. Big thanks to Abby. Um, as always, links to lots of things in the show notes, including our Patreon if you'd like to support the Age of Plastic podcast. I'll be back next week. Until then, wash your hands, wash recycling, and look after yourself and each other. Oh, no, sorry, Jerry Springer had that one. Never mind, scrap that. I'll see you next time on the Age of Plastic podcast.